0: Welcome everybody to episode 51 of S.B. Unfurled and friends. Lil Bon X here with S.B. Unfurled. I guess the season's over after two games, right? (laughs) It's all over. This is our end of the season podcast, everybody. Thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, it was fun, you know. September I started to kind of talk myself into things even like July August I was kind of happy but September and then into October we got really good news from a secret skirmish we really started looking more in depth about this team and how balance and how experienced and we you know tough defensive minded really really drinking the Kool-Aid up through you know Longwood we had there were some correctable things I thought um, and you know you get away with the win but I felt just this, and I know a lot of fans did over the last couple months, this um, kind of this balloon of excitement and anticipation building and building and building and building. And then it's just popped within uh, about a six minute stretch early there in the second half. It was a, just a a crushing, crushing blow to all of the, you know, the hopes that we had. And, And it's because, you know, it is so tough to, to reach um, some of the goals that you have when you're in our position in the A-10. That's, that's how it is for a lot of teams, but you just can't eat a, a Q4 loss at home to Canisius and think it's not going to be an albatross around our neck for four months. Um, and it I, it's just, it's, it keeps happening over and over and over every year. Um, and we'll get into that, but it's just, you know, given the differences in budget, the differences in, conference affiliation, the support, the program infrastructure, the recruiting, all of it. Um, it's just not acceptable to keep losing these games. Uh, and you kind of, you don't expect it, but you're kind of ready for it going into the road games. But um Home games, it's been a little different, and I let myself kind of drink the Kool-Aid. Before the game, I had people saying, oh, I wouldn't bet on Bonnie's minus 11.5. Not against Canisius, not against the rival. They always play us tough. But for whatever reason, I started drinking the Kool-Aid, and I thought, you know what? <laughs> this is going to be the year because we did it in 14. We did it in 19. Um, we kind of dominated Canisius, and I had a good feeling. A sold-out crowd a Saturday afternoon. Um, a lot of energy coming off a win. You had a, a good week of uh, probably five days of rest. Um, And I did watch Canisius against Cuse and they looked okay, but I had a really good feeling about it and nope, didn't happen. Uh, Terrible, terrible loss, terrible loss.
0: The women even won right before they they had a win, right? To get the game going and get to get the day going. They they started off just right. And then it just was completely wasted in that second half. Yeah. But going into the halftime, it wasn't, you know, it was a good, Decent performance. I don't think it was, you know, incredible, but uh the Bonnies are up seven at the half. They were shooting forty percent from both the field and from three. They have the rebounding advantage. So mm-hmm. with those stats, I thought, you know, as long as they just keep doing this, they'll be okay. What did they do after <laughs> the locker room? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was ridiculous. It was what twenty five to two run within yeah. like Four minutes the lead was more than evaporated and it was it it was just a I want to say a layup line but it was a layup and three point shooting um, like scrimmage like a pregame shoot around basically it was it was a disaster I don't know why this team goes through so many stretches where either they can't score or they can't defend because the defense has been one of the more consistent things from them and it was not the case for the most of the second half on, on Saturday. So what did you see out of that run that made that all happen? That, 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 that catastrophe happened?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and just to go back real quick, like, like you said at halftime, I did, I felt pretty good, you know, we're up seven. I thought we could have played better, but you look at, it, I think Kanishas only had one offensive rebound in the first half. Um, and that was a huge, huge issue against Longwood. And, you know, it, you felt like we, we were, Rebounding pretty well, um, but then um, going in, I think there was like 44 seconds left in the half. We get the ball. Uh, I'm thinking maybe a two for one. We call a timeout, um, and I put this out there. I was like, "That's a really, really bad timeout." I don't know if Schmidt forgot that Adams Woods used a timeout on the baseline because he thought he might get a five second call, and he forgot. And you know that was our use it or lose it timeout. But you call a timeout was- for 44 seconds. Now you only have two the rest of the game. I want to go back to that quickly, though. But yeah. That that was one of those
0: situations where, if you watch the NFL, we're recording this right before the Bills Broncos Monday Night Football game, so we'll see if anything happens like that tonight. But that's one of those situations where, in the NFL, you know, the play clock's running down on like second and eight in the first quarter, and they call a timeout. It's like, why waste the timeout? And that's what I thought right when that happened when Adams Woods called it. Timeout. I'm I'm not blaming him specifically because you know there was something going on with the um, inbounds, but I would rather lose possession in the early first half than to lose that timeout because then Schmidt is always used to calling the timeout on the last possession of the first half. They did it again and then they forgot, oh wait, we only have two timeouts left. That was what stopped us from stopping the bleeding in the, yeah. in the early in the second half. So, you know, yeah, that was, that was, that was a big mistake right off the bat.
1: Exactly what we were saying. Uh, the timeout there was way more valuable than the possession, but then, I mean, yeah, the, the second half you come out in a total daze. It's not the first time we've come out of the half just looking like a deer in the headlights. Um, I thought we were way, way too slow to adjust. Um, We struggled, I think, adapting to their screening. We were going under screens, uh, allowing open threes, allowing backdoor cuts. I thought Canisius did a good job spreading the floor with our man-to-man, getting venting out on the perimeter and opening up the lane for those backdoor cuts or, you know, quick ball movement for some clean looks. Um, No zone, like... In that instance, uh, and I saw this in the Arizona Duke game. Arizona made a really great adjustment. Duke was doing the same thing, getting the big out on the perimeter. Arizona makes an adjustment; they go zone. They, you know, they sit the big man down on, you know, under the basket, and it really worked for them. And I, I wish we could have done that earlier because I thought when we went zone, even though I would have liked some more trapping and stuff, we got some stops, and it kind of it changed the flow. It we we um. well, and I'll get into this in a second, but obviously the run was absurd that we gave up. But once we gave them a different look, they, you know, they kind of had to adjust a little bit and that's when we started chipping away. Um, I thought, you know, offensively forcing it inside a chat a little bit, which kind of slowed the game down when I think we needed to push the pace with a little more urgency, um, waited too long to attack. I thought pride and uh, pride, you know, he, He was the guy who looked like he really wanted to win out there. He's in zero turnovers, really. Um, Just a good job attacking late with Adams Woods, but that was too little too late. Um, Bad shots that were um, those misses. We were four of 20 from deep, and I thought those misses really made it tough for us to get back on defense uh, and, and get set up into the press miss free throws. You can't set up in your press if you want to do that.
0: It wasn't even um, just 4 of 20 from deep because we were 4 of 10. From deep at halftime So it was 0 for 10 in the second half
1: Yeah and I was going to say that 0 of 10 in the second half So that kind of those bad shots Those long rebounds Canisius getting out and pushing it We're kind of scrambling on the defensive end I thought our bad offense in the second half Created really bad defense And we looked completely lost But um, yeah if you look at that stretch there We go um, So we're up 41-32 We're up 9 with 18 minutes left Banks misses Banks turnover. over. Adams Woods misses a three-pointer. Luke turns it over. Venning misses a jumper. Asa misses a three. Asa misses another three. Flowers misses a three. Asa misses a layup. Finally, Noel Brown gets a, a layup, um, puts us down 49-43. It stops a nearly five-minute drought, but then Brown misses a free throw. Evans turns it over. Venning misses a jumper. Banks turns it over. That's 14 possessions. All we had was a Noel Brown layup in those 14 possessions. Um, yeah. So we we go up 41-32 and boom, like a, a crippling blow. And all of a sudden we're down 59-45. Um, so we go from up nine to down 14, a 23-point swing in just six minutes. Meanwhile... Kenetius, Frank, Michel- Frank Mitchell, uh, dunk. They get a, a layup. They get another layup. They get a free throw. They get a three. They get a three. They get another dunk. They get a layup. They get a pull-up jumper. They get another layup. They get another three. They get a steal. They get another layup. I mean, you it's its so, so bad. And these are called kill shots, right? Um these big runs. So we gave up a 25-2 to run. And I think Jive put this on. He was either Twitter or a message board via um Evan me who does yeah, some Jack, advanced Jack
0: 36 on twitter he put this yeah
1: out there. so these kill shots right and, and if you give up a kill shot or i guess if you have a kill shot you usually win like 82 percent of the time going back to last year when the conference play started these are the kill shots we've given up right st lou against st louis we gave up a 16 and 0 run a 12 and 2 run An 11 to 1 run. Duquesne, we give up a 16 to 2 run. We end up winning, actually. Loyola, we give up a 14 to 2 run and lose. Fordham, we give up a 13 to 2 run and a 12 to 2 run and lose. VCU, we give up a 12 to 2 run. We actually win that one. LaSalle, we give up a 16 to 2 run. Duquesne, we give up a 12 to 2 run. Fordham, we give up a 13 to 2 run. GW, we give up a 12 to 2 run. Davidson, we give up a 14 to 1 run. Against UMass, we give up a 17 to 2 run. And then the worst of them all was on Saturday against Canisius, a 25 to 2 run. We had to burn both of our timeouts with 12, 13 minutes left in the game. We have no more timeouts. Um, and, uh, you know, this team was supposed to be better than last year, but you can't keep giving up runs like this. Meanwhile, if you look at the A-10, if you're giving up those runs, you hope that you can do some of it too. The only team with less kill shots than us in the A10 last year was LaSalle. We only had 7, they had 4. All the other teams were in double digits. And LaSalle had one against us. <laughs> yeah, so we're giving up all these 16 to 2, 13 to 2, 12 to 2, 14 to 1, every every game almost and you lose I think it was like 82%, right on par. You lose almost all of them. Um so you're giving up these huge runs and you're not doing it in return really, really bad, uh, bad to look back on that. It's a bad, bad pattern to have. And we have to fix it because these crippling runs, and there's so many games where we're up like eight or nine it happened against Longwood. And again, it happened against Canisius. We're up like nine around halftime. And I'm like, okay, well, this is our chance to extend it to 14 or 15 and really put them away and kind of coast to a win. Even if you play them even the rest of the way, or even if they play pretty well, you still have a really good cushion. So many times we have these almost double digit leads. And I think we're going to extend it only to have them, the other team chip away. And in Canisius's case, totally flip the script. We did not have a double digit lead
0: in either game, by the way, that I think is ridiculous. If you had told me that a week ago, you know, yeah, we both we led by nine in both games. Uh Canisius was like immediately after the half and then yeah, it fell apart there. And yeah. Longwood as well was um early or mid second half. The the one thing that really worried me about Canisius, other than obviously letting a vastly inferior team do that, is is the three point defense because that's been a pretty good hallmark of this <laughs> wave of the of the Bonnies team in the last year and change. Is the yeah. three point defense has been pretty strong compared to some of those other defenses where we remember teams like Davidson hitting God knows how many threes that felt like a Davidson at the Riley center, typical performance in the second half for Canisius.
1: Mm. Yeah. You had
0: Trey Dinkins off the bench, nailing four of seven from deep and TJ Gadson three of five and Tosh Tavetsky. Um, he's supposed to be, you know, one of the best players in the Mac with two A's. He was three of six. These guys are drilling from three and it, a lot of it was in that big run. But it was still something that I think was throughout the game where they were getting a lot of open looks because Kanisha shot exactly fifty percent from the entire field and exactly fifty percent from three. That's mm-hmm. you're not going to win many basketball games against anybody letting the team shoot make one out of every two shots, regardless of where it is on the court. The other thing I, I thought was you know crucial down the stretch when the bleeding finally did stop on that ridiculous kill shot. Was the free throw shooting? I mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't we miss six free throws in a row in the end of the second half?
1: Yeah, it was five or six, and a couple were front ends, which are huge. You can't yes. miss those front ends. Yeah,
0: which yep. is another it, thing that I I don't normally see us do. I, I think we sometimes have seen like you know Kyle often going back a few years ago missing some free throws and in, in situations, but by and large. I feel like the Bonnies have been one of the better free throw shooting teams in the yeah. A-10. And while the, the final number was 65% that's not you know horrible, there were nine given up points on the free throw line. Mm-hmm. And even with all the catastrophe that happened early in the second half, it was a three point game. So just take five of those nine misses and it's an entirely different situation down the stretch. Another thing that was weird was they got the ball back with about a minute or so left. And there was kind of confusion about whether or not to to pick up the pace. And I think it was because there was no timeout, because normally that would seem like an organic place to call a timeout. Getting the ball up three with about or down three with about a minute left. What did you think of that situation? I, I forgot who exactly had the ball, but it seemed like they kind of hesitated and didn't get into a right set.
1: Mm Hmm. Yeah, I think it was Adams Woods, and I saw him throughout the game a couple times, going over and looking at Schmidt. You know, when he got the ball over half court, looking over to the bench, looked kind of confused. Could be that he's really new and he's still learning things. But it it looked like there was some miscommunication um, in what you're talking about specifically. And I put this out there as well in the moment, like we took. I wish. How we didn't have any urgency in that situation, I don't know, but we took way too long to get into a set and get a bucket. And after that, I thought, well, we took so long off the clock. Now we have to foul. And then we didn't foul. And in the postgame, Schmidt said, yeah, well, we didn't want to foul. We just wanted to get a stop. We did get a stop and we came back down four. But I will I say that's not that, a
0: terrible move in yeah, that situation.
1: It could go either way. But, you know,
0: considering the defense had picked it up after the, the run you know twenty five of their forty points in the second half were in the, that that like what eight minute stretch so yeah we we had we had locked them down on defense so i I don't think that was the worst move to let them play it out, especially since there was um there was about there was uh let's see i'm looking back there there was about a minute left when they got the ball yeah.
1: back, and you're down four right if i remember
0: yeah down it was sixty nine sixty five with uh, yeah. 29 seconds left when they ended up missing a jumper. So yeah, they got the ball with exactly a minute left.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't like that, but you shouldn't be in that, that position to begin with, um, to go back to the three point right. shooting though, we've lost our last four games against Mac with the double a teams. We've lost our last four games against Mac opponents huh. in those four games those teams have shot 38 of 83 from deep. That's 46%. Um,
0: oh my in God. Those
1: four, yeah. 30 in four games. Those four Mac teams have shot 38 of 80, 83 for 46. The last two games against Canisius, the loss this year and the loss last year, Canisius shot 23 of 46, obviously 50% for all you math nerds out there, 23 of 46 <laughs> from the field. So yeah, Saturday they were 11 of 22 from deep. Last year they were 12 of 24 from deep. Uh, they shoot the lights out against us, and you know, it, it's man, it, it's rough losing four straight against those MAC teams. Going back, if you look uh, under Schmidt, nine and seven against Canisius, seven and six against Niagara, eight and four against SUNY Amherst, and seven and five against Siena. So I was saying. You know, the last couple of months, we have to beat those four in-state rivals, and it's very rare that we have a clean slate against those teams. We did in 2012 when we went four and zero. We went to the tournament that year, and we did in 2022. Uh, we went three and zero against them. Other than that, there's no clean slates. I said if if we want to reach the goals we have, because I know how it goes you you know we're not going to get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to selection committees or anything. You can't eat a Q four loss at Canisius. They don't give a shit about a rivalry. They don't nope. care. Um, so yeah, we're 31 and 22 against those four teams. The best win percentage actually against SUNY Amherst. So. 9 and 7 against Kanisha, 7 and 6 against Niagara. You you want better if you're the Bonnies with our where our program is and has been. These have been really good teams. It's not like we have bad teams losing to them. We've had really really good teams. And if you go back to the year we made the tournament, uh 2021 2020, you know, 2021 22, the year after we made a tournament when we're ranked, right? We're top, I think it was 16 going into the season. Um, We open and with a easy win against Sienna, we blow them out, and then we have Canisius before going to Charleston and running the table. Look, if you think back, you remember Charleston, right? You remember how good we looked. You remember how much we were partying and how much we loved that team. People forget we're ranked, hosting a really bad Canisius team. That team yep. was sub 250. We have a ranked team, supposed to be our best team in decades. We have Canisius at home, and we people forget because you look at the score, we won by nine, but if you look into it, Canisius led from two minutes and 30 seconds left in the first half until about five minutes left in that game. Canisius was up double digits multiple times on us. They had an 82% win probability. They were up 47-36 to 36 until we finally put the clamps on defensively over the last five minutes. Canisius was up 57-50 late. Uh, with under seven minutes left, it doesn't matter how good we are or how bad they are. It does not matter. They come in fired up, and we often come out like they're just another tomato can. It's not. It never is. We can't just roll the balls out and win against these teams. We, we're not. We can't do it. We're not good enough to yeah. do it against Canisius. And you see the demeanor. They. It means a lot to them. It doesn't matter if it's a sold out Riley Center on a Saturday and we have all these people in the building. You got to show up. Our best team, our supposed best team, that ran, ran through Charleston. Obviously, other things happened throughout the year, but at that time, we were clicking, and we still almost lost to Kenesha's.
0: Yeah, it's not going to get any different this season because after Thanksgiving, it's SUNY Amherst on the road and Niagara on the road, back to back games yeah. in early December. And you know, soon the, the, both those teams are right now in the three hundreds and Kem Palm. Mm-hmm. But Canisius was, I, I believe Canisius was three, three something coming in. 270 into, something. Yeah. I mean, really oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, they're not they're <laughs> 233 now. So. More credit
1: than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you look after, after Brooklyn, right. And we'll talk a little bit about Oklahoma state and then we have either Notre Dame or Auburn, but after Brooklyn, we have a stretch of teams. Ken Palm ranked 338, 273, 300, 305, 308. Then we have FAU oh, yeah. and then 296. I mean, that's six all six of them might be 300 or or less you know and no one's going to be surprised if we drop one of them especially at niagara or suny amherst the way these rivalry games go um and like i said the committee doesn't give a shit if it's a rivalry game uh and that's by the way i
0: think i think last night or last night's saturday night puts to bed any idea that we're too good to be playing Canisius, Niagara and Siena. Like I get that you don't want to have all these Mac games, but at the same time, if you're not beating these teams, then you can't really do the Jim Beheim thing where you have to come play us at the carrier dome. Like they have to come play us at the Riley center. We have not proven that we are far and away ahead of Canisius, Niagara and Siena, unfortunately, at least in head to head matchups.
1: Oh yeah, no, no one's saying like. Well, I mean, maybe people are. I people are definitely saying. I, it. People might <laughs> mi- misconstrue what I mean. Like, I want to play them at home. Uh, yeah. I, you know, you got to win. There's no excuse to to do this every year. I think um, it's a
0: healthy thing to have these home and homes and playing in their little, you know, tuna can. Well, Sienna doesn't have a tuna can; they have a big arena. But the Niagara's little tuna cans. I think it's good in general for the sport. It's good in general for you know, Western New York sports and colleges. It's just when you have a vastly superior team, you have to actually show up because it's not as if Canisius is just going to lay down. It's not like, you know, some of these other buy games that come to the Riley center and, you know, they end up losing by like 30 or 40 these, these games have a lot of meaning behind them, even if they don't for, a lot of Bonnie's guys who come in early on because Canisius and Niagara are looking around the region and they're looking at Syracuse and they're looking at the Bonnies.
1: Yeah. And he's I mean, not...
0: by the way, played, played Syracuse very well coming in. Yeah. So that was a very good experience for them. Whereas we struggled with a, along with team, which I hope is going to be decent, but you know, I mean, they're, they're going to be, if they're, if they have a phenomenal season, they will be a 14 seed at best in the tournament. Yeah.
1: <laughs> It's not even about the rivalry thing. It's about money. Um, and that too, yeah. It's I, you know, it's not. I don't want to just cut, pull the plug on these. It's not about also thinking that we're better than them. I just read you all the records. We're not like when we play on the court. Uh, you throw the metrics out the window. Um, and I, I think, like, I just know what the landscape is in college basketball now. It's much different than it was even ten years ago. It's a super high risk playing these uh, old rivalries, playing these series. It's much a much bigger risk than just buying your normal MEAC team to come in here. Um, all of the fans know how difficult these rivalry games are. And the, the computer metrics don't give a shit that it's a rivalry game. Ken Palm is not adjusting his metrics based on rivalries. Nope. And the selection committee sure shit is not giving us the benefit of the doubt. Um, but you know, it seems to happen every year. And I, I went back and looked, um, and mind you, I'm, when I'm reading these, like this, these are good teams that we had. I'm not saying that these are bad teams that you could see us losing. These are all really good teams that ended up doing good things for the most part, but you can go all the way back, 2011, a 10-point loss at Canisius right out of the gate. This is yep. Andrew Nicholson's junior year, and we know he's an all-conference player. He could be like the 8-10 player of the year as a junior, a really, really good team. Right out of the gate, a 10-point loss at Canisius and an 8-point loss at home to an, an abysmal sub-300 Niagara team at home. So we lose at Canisius, and we lose at home to Niagara, and that's a, that's a pretty good team that we had. 2012. At home to Arkansas State, we go seven and five in the non-league. We went into 2012 thinking this could be an at-large year, and we could make a run the tournament. And we ended up getting in because of how well we played in Atlantic City. But we went seven and five out of conference. Yep, we ended up getting a double by running, running the A10 tourney. If you look back, that could be the best overall team that Schmidt had. We go seven and five out of conference. We lose cool. to Arkansas State. That are, uh,
0: non-conference is why we were only a 14 seed that year in the tournament. Yeah, exactly. Because, up, because rarely is an A-10 team a 14 seed. They're usually at least a 13.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh yeah, 14. They, in any, I, I remember like no one thought we were on the bubble, but if you thought we were close, the the selection committee said, absolutely not. You're not even close. Yeah, no. but 2013, we lose to Canisius. 2014, we lose at Siena and we lose to a decent UB team. But that 2014 team, I mean, we beat a ranked team that year. We knocked off the one seed St. Louis and Brooklyn. We got to the semi, but we lose to Siena and UB. 2015, we lose at home to Siena, Maryland Eastern Shore, Delaware. That's a team that beat a really good Buffalo team, an excellent Davidson and VCU team, the Posley back-to-back buzzer beaters. That's a really good team. We lose at home to Siena, Maryland Eastern Shore, Delaware. Go to 2016. That's a team that, you know, you remember, we went 14-4 and in conference. We should have been a tournament team. We won 22 games. We won 10 of our last 11, dropped a bad one to LaSalle. An at-large caliber resume. We lose at Siena that ruins an otherwise really strong non-league. We get snubbed because we lost again to one of these in-state rivals. I'm not saying we shouldn't play at Siena necessarily, but we got to beat these teams. 2017, we lose at home to a bad, bad Canisius team in overtime. We beat a bad, or we lost to a really bad Little Rock team. Uh, 2018, Right out of the gate, we lose in Niagara. And I, I. some people are like, well, we can still get an at-large this year. Remember in 2018 when we lost to Niagara? Yeah, but that's really the only blemish on that entire season. We also had the excuse that we didn't have Adams. I'm not saying we're getting the benefit of the doubt, of course, but that's a team that beats Maryland without Adams. We beat Syracuse. We beat a really good SUNY Amherst team. Tons of great conference wins. We won 12 straight. 12 straight conference wins to end the season. Then we beat uh, Richmond, it was, in D.C., I believe. Um, That's our first NCAA tournament win in 50 years. Right out of the gate, we lose to Niagara. 2019, we lost at a terrible Niagara team. They're 315, Ken Palm. We lost to them. We ended up going 12-6 and that year. We got a double bye. We made a run in Brooklyn. We're one shot away from the tournament again. That team lost to a terrible Niagara team. 2020, we start 1-4. We lost to Siena, Canisius, UB. That team almost won 20 games. They went 11-7 in the conference. They had a seven-game win streak, a four-game win streak, and a five-game win streak. So we lost to Siena, Canisius, and UB. Like right. 2022, like huge letdown against Northern Iowa and then Virginia Tech. And then 2023, last year, we lost to to a bad Canisius team, a bad UB team, a bad Siena team. We lost all three of those. Last year we got a good P5 win. We beat both VCU and Dayton. So, like, I know that's a little long-winded, but I want to go through that stuff because these are really good teams, but every single year there is one of these losses, and this might be the worst of them all, maybe going back to, like, I, Arkansas. I don't State think
0: – I, I know it's it's a lot that you threw it, and we've all lived through Most of, if not all of those losses.
1: But I had to (laughs) put it in perspective because people forget. People (laughs) forget, so you have to put it into perspective. Of
0: course, that's why I let you roll that because I'm like, oh yeah, that one, that one too. But I, I don't think we're exactly the rarest situation. I think there's plenty of basketball teams that are losing those games. Michigan State lost to James Madison. VCU lost, you know, what did they lose to the other day? I'm forgetting who they lost to. Damn
1: it. Like Radford or something? No,
0: no, not Radford. God, who'd they lose to? Uh, I don't remember. You're making fun of them. Why am I blanking on who they lost to? Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, I mean,
1: other teams lose bad games, but every year it seems like we have one of these early losses that just cripples us, and then we're playing from behind us.
0: It was McNeese State. Yeah. But, like, these games happen, you know? Like, that's not to forgive us, but there's clearly a theme here where it happens at least once a season.
1: But we is don't have reach? the margin for error to do it, though. Of course you know? not.
0: But is there something structurally that's happening with the program that, that this keeps happening under different entire rosters? Is it just complacency? Is it? What I don't is, know. Is it just l- lack of preseason I, preparation? Do you have any? Do you have anything? No, I don't. No, I, I.
1: I would never say we're like not prepared or that we don't play hard. I think our our guys overall have played really hard, but I just think these. Games mean a lot to those teams. Canisius and Niagara get up to play us. You, if you watch them on the court, like after they beat us last year, especially, I mean, it's a big deal, and we have to be able to match that enthusiasm and intensity for the full forty minutes. Because if we have just one stretch of where we don't look like we're ready, you can you see what they do. And those they have they have some good players, but by no means are they. Are they more skilled than us? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all thing. It's it's definitely a bad pattern, and I've been worried about it for months now. I've been, and you've heard me say we had to beat yep. those four in-state rivals. First one we face, we just <laughs> – we don't show up, especially in the second half. It's not good. Well, we had to
0: – I thought we had to win every home game in the non-conference to even think about an at-large bid – yeah. It's probably the case, although, you know, if, if we do run the table outside, there will be, you know, a win over Oklahoma State, hopefully Auburn and Florida Atlantic and Akron, which all seem like, you know, at least quad two, definitely quad two wins. Akron could even potentially be a quad one if they really get on a roll. But, yeah, it's it's going to be really hard to overcome this, although I think an at-large bid from the get-go is going to be really hard, not only for us, but I mm-hmm. think any A-10 team. I, I, I worry that the A-10s multi-bid, Years are, are going to be few and far between in, in the, the near future, at least. But um, I do want to get into one, some positives out of, out of what we've seen at, between game one and game two, because I know it was absolutely terrible for the final result. But I did see more aggression on the boards, and I think that's going to be very crucial going forward. Especially with with Charles Pride grabbing nine boards and you know nearly having a double double, he's been very impressive, of course, so far. So, is there anything that you saw that that, that the Bonnies did better in Game Two as opposed to Game One? Because I didn't think you know up until that run, I thought they were they they were doing
1: better. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought we were. But uh, you know when you go back to Longwood I watched that back I did not watch Canisius back no um, way <laughs> no. <laughs> I watched the Longwood game back and they just have they really do have some good athletes who are always they were crashing the boards it was Christmas Massey and then Zapala, the seven footer um and there were guys you know I, I thought a lot of it was on switches it looked like a few times like credit long would very well coached team um they would they would uh they knew we were switching and there were some times where like luke got left on zapala to try to block out um because they would get Venning in a situation where Venning had to switch onto a guard or a wing and they that cleared some space and you know got them some favorable matchups on the offensive glass so uh yeah i mean we did a better job cleaning up the boards against canisius but you know uh a lot of it just comes down to shooting, you know, like, it, and if we had just hit a few of those jumpers when we're going, I read that whole stretch of, of what we did. If we just hit a couple of those jumpers, it lets us set up our defense a lot better. Um, the free throws as well. Like so much can be it, it. Good shooting masks a ton of, you know, bad play and uh, bad, bad defense. And, Um, if your shots are falling, it makes everything easier. So I think that was just a big part of it. You know, the, the transition defense, we were put into bad transition defensive situations a whole lot because we were just missing shots. But, um, you know, I, I think reading all those runs back, I was thinking like, man, I thought, and I still do think Charles pride can be a guy who, can be that like guy who stops the bleeding, you know, In you go on like, uh, or you're on the wrong end of end of a six O run or an eight O run pride. And even Adams woods attacking Luke's been attacking, which I've liked. Um, I wish, uh, Asa could attack a little more. I thought he would maybe put the ball on the floor a little bit more. Haven't seen it too much so far. Um, but those, those are the guys we need to go to when we need to stop the bleeding. They need to be able to attack and get to the free throw line and hit their free throws. It would have, it would have done so much if just after the first couple of threes, like we could have got to the line and hit a few free throws and been able to set up our defense. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as like cleaning up things, I, I think Longwood did a really good job just getting us into bad situations on the defensive glass. Um, Canisius did a really good job spreading the floor as well and getting our defense, you know, pulling venting out to the perimeter. Like I said, and opening things up inside. Um, you know, I pride plays with a lot of heart and he does a lot of little things really well. And his rebounding, I said this before the year. And I think I said this on a a podcast a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, only two Bona players under Schmidt have had more offensive rebounds than pride did his junior year as, um, in one year. Oshun. And, uh, Endoy, Endoy had like 99 and Oshu had a hundred offensive rebounds in a season pride had 96. That just shows from a, he's six, four, really good offensive rebounder. Um, so yeah, nine rebounds. This is actually the first time I'm looking at the, the rebounding from Canisius, uh, looks like we held them to five offensive rebounds and 24 defensive rebounds, the, the rebounding was no problem for us. It was yeah. the perimeter defense, and you know, being able to um, adapt to what they were doing and, and not making adjustments fast enough. I thought we waited way too long to make some adjustments and get into a zone or show them some different looks.
0: Yeah, Gridzy would definitely have a field day with how our perimeter defense was doing and mm-hmm. not doing very well. Two other small, small positives to take away from Kenetius. fewer fouls in Longwood, especially at a Chad Benning and more turnovers by Canisius, especially more steals we had 9 steals and Canisius had 19 total turnovers but yeah. i do wonder especially with the fouls thing if it was because there was less aggression although steals would point to aggression so i, I don't know like what to make of of that it seems like two very opposite ideas like really good turnovers and and a really good you know defense forcing turnovers and not fouling very much but also giving up a lot of wide open shots so it's a very it was a very boomer bust defense defensive situation
1: yeah i mean Kenesha shot a lot of threes they're they're shooting a ton of jump shots so you know we're not going to foul as much if they're not attacking and they were hitting them so sure. you know sometimes it's as simple as that you're we're not following the jump shooters and uh you know longwood did a really good job they had more size Apollo was really active. Uh, I was imp- really impressed by Massey's physicality and Christmas as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we went to the line twenty-six times. We forced nineteen turnovers. We won the the rebounding battle. Kanishas only made four th- four free throws. Um, you'll take that all the time. Going to shooting twenty-six free throws and forcing nineteen turnovers, and we lo- and we lost yeah. like. Man, uh, but it was just that that six minute stretch in that second half, obviously, was it was way too big of a hole to dig oh, out of.
0: Yeah, because even if it was fifteen to two, it still would have been a win for us easily. So that's, that's I don't I don't there. think,
1: and I don't think we're really built to play from behind uh, like that necessarily. Not,
0: not with the tempo and, and not with the cohesion so far on the team. And that's that's kind of what the next question is that I wanted to ask you and talk about is you mentioned pride and all the great things he's done. Pride, Liverpool, New York. So as far as I'm concerned, he is a Liverpool guy. You never walk alone, Mr. Pride, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> so he, him and Mike Adams-Woods are the two, you know, they're the two starters. They're the two main contributors that are transferring in and coming in. I feel like both of them, you know, while they do get their their shots and they do get their points, I don't think either one has truly, like, been integrated into the offense it seems like, you know, a lot of prides is, is second chance buckets or, or cutting into the lane out of, out of sheer athleticism. Do you think that they still need to take another step forward in their development in Schmidt's system or just being, um, you know, teammates with banks and and, and vending SMV? Or, like, what do you think they can do to take that next step to elevate this team to hopefully being that top three A-10 team that we expected?
1: Yeah, I mean, they definitely look like um, – I, I do like a lot of – what they can do um but they kind of do look like um we looked at the beginning of last year as an entire team when we had all these new players so maybe the the playbook you always hear about how schmidt has all these plays but there's a lot of just standing around and dribbling Uh, against canisius way too much dribbling and trying to force things um
0: they don't have an offensive identity yeah i don't think they have And,
1: and i you know you watch these a lot of these good teams, the the Davidson teams of old. What what Kanish did on Saturday looked like an old mckillop Davidson team, just pass, what, pass, what, pass, what, pass what, shot. What, this, what Davidson did this trouble. past weekend, yeah. they, they they
0: destroyed Clemson, and then I yeah. um, forgot who they played in the in the Asheville championship, but they they dominated that game too. Like Davidson, <laughs> I don't know, that's out of nowhere, but yeah, Maryland, was, they beat
1: Maryland. Um, yes, yeah, Maryland. Maryland yeah. team. <laughs> Um, way too much dribbling, way too much dribbling. Uh, so and it's, if you're attacking with a purpose, like pride has done and uh, Adams woods did it a little bit late too. You'll take that, especially if you're good finishing Luke's been attacking a little bit, but, um, I, there's a lot of standing around. There's a lot of lob it into venting and let him work while four guys stand around the perimeter. Uh, the off ball movement, the announcers even talked about it in the Longwood game not much off ball movement there were um a lot of possessions late in the Longwood game too like you know some of it's masked because pride really put us on his back but under the then the last 8 minutes of the Longwood game uh you have a turnover a turnover a bad possession and another awful possession flowers launches it from like 25 feet with 11 seconds left Um, Adams-Woods bailed us out late on a three, but, like, another turnover, another horrible possession late, another bad – like, we had, like, Canisius, just not as bad, but we had six or seven really terrible possessions right before Pride took over where there's no ball movement. um, Guys are waiting until there's a couple seconds left, dribbling, and then throwing up a bad shot. Uh, So, yeah, uh, I wish our shot quality could – I was expecting more, even – it is very early, but with the experience we have with all the guys that we had returning, I was hoping our offense would be a little more cohesive and clicking a little more. And our shot quality would be a lot better Um, early in the longwood game. I thought that was the best shot quality we had. We were just missing open looks. But since that first half, I feel like, you know, we're, we're dribbling too much and we're not making crisp passes. The passes that we do make are, are not where they should be. Um, And, you know, that's – if you have good shooters, you want to be able to hit them in stride and hit them in the pocket and get them good looks. Um, it, but, yeah.
0: Yeah, it seems like there's still a mm-hmm. lot of pieces that are trying to fall into place with the team because, like I mentioned with both Pride and Adams was not – they're they're scoring, but they're I think they're scoring a lot on sheer talent and not necessarily integrating into the offense yet. And I think Banks has kind of taken a back seat, and, and we need him to be a streaky shooter uh, that – has not happened. He finally hit a three pointer against Canisius, but you know, <laughs> yeah. 12 points, five of them at the free throw line. He, he has to, you know, get going a little more with, with um within the offense. And I think that, that apprehension of the offense right now is why the, the default situation is to kick it into venting and let him back it down. And maybe he'll kick it out. Probably not. And mm-hmm. you know, he was five eleven, So he was good. He had a good bounce back game for himself with, after the, uh, the foul trouble against Longwood, but you know, he does it does bog down the offense if he's not able to just get a quick move off. So that'll yeah. be something that we'll need to see improve, especially as we look to Oklahoma State. And that is going to be a very good chance to bounce back from this bad Kanisha loss, because actually all three of these teams that we're going to be playing in the Legends Classic in Brooklyn are all not undefeated. <laughs> We've all lost games. <laughs> mm-hmm. By the way, anybody? Going to Brooklyn, have fun. I'll be down there. Um, so we got Oklahoma State. You know, of course, they lost to Abilene Christian at home, which Abilene Christian is not the same Abilene Christian that you may remember beat Texas in the tournament a few years ago. They've fallen yeah. a, a yeah. bit back down to earth since then. So, you know, that's not – that's that's probably going to be a Q4 loss for them. Maybe Q3 mm-hmm. if Abilene, you know, really gets on a heater. Like, hopefully Canisius will now. Hopefully Canisius wins the MAC, <laughs> so that improves our resume. Um, and then, in the other games, it would be either Auburn who lost to Baylor, who's like a top ten fifteen team in the country that's that's nothing bad on a neutral site court uh but they they still lost, and then Notre Dame, which, if we play them again i I think that's could be more of the same as last year they they beat Niagara at home when Niagara was up for quite a bit of that game, and then they lost to western Carolina, which is not a not a good loss for, for Notre Dame either. Yeah. So all these teams have some flaws, although Auburn certainly looks like the best of the four right now. But let's not get ahead of ourselves yet with Oklahoma State first. Um, with the two games that they played, they beat Sam Houston State as well as losing to Abilene Christian. Uh, what are you looking for out of this team and where we match up?
1: They've always been a good – really good defensive team under Boynton. Um, and I'm surprised they've only made the tournament once out of the last six years. Really surprised to see that. But, um, so they had a
0: self-imposed ban last season.
1: Yeah, they did. <laughs> uh, and they lost some guys and actually Boynton said, uh, you know, three of the guys they lost were four year guys that used their COVID year as a fifth year, uh, one-time transfer. Um, and the fourth one I think was already a one-time transfer and didn't graduate. but. Um, Yeah, good defense. They've been inconsistent offensively. Um, So, you know, their fans would say offensive improvement would would be crucial if they want to make the tournament. But um, they've already had a bad loss, so who knows? They do have a ton of opportunities in the Big 12. Um, Javon Small, transfer from East Carolina, really, really good player. He was the guy they wanted to bring in to address all those offensive problems, and he has been their best player so far this year. Um, just a scoring point guard as well as his backcourt mate Bryce Thompson. He's another guard. Uh, I, I think you know Oklahoma State underrated guards as far as Big Twelve is concerned, but really, really good backcourt. Um, small dynamic point guard. He brings scoring, facilitation, shooting, and then Thompson's a six-six senior. Uh, he's also playing a, a really, really big role in the backcourt. It was the front court that was kind of more. Uh, had more question marks, um, so yeah. Uh, Williams on the team, a really really good defensive player, versatile, really athletic. Uh, Wright is a super senior; he was expected to be a really big contributor. Um, so you know the the backcourt is really established. I know they wanted to focus on, based on what I read, about Boynton saying wanted to improve the front court and the offensive efficiency. They they had some potential, but it was a little less settled, I would say a lot of struggles in the past. So, um, Mike Marsh is the guy who's been pretty good this year. And I I think he's probably the guy who will get the start at center. Um, he's a a six ten vet. He's, uh, known for playing, defending really well in the post. Um, they do have a seven, one redshirt freshman transfer, but I don't know how much he really contributes. Um, But it's it's really if if you're looking at two guys, it's small and it's Thompson. Um, Those are the guys that are really going to determine the ceiling. And you know, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, If you want a bounce back game, they have some really good guards. Uh, I I think I'm hoping that you know, it's sometimes it's tough adjusting to playing in a big NBA arena if you're not used to it, but we'll see. There's a lot of times you go into these and there's really cold shooting days. So we got to hope, hope that our guys are ready. Thompson and, uh, the small Javon small in their backcourt. We really need our guards to step up on defense and offensively um, because Oklahoma state's a really, really good defensive team. We can't be turning the ball over and letting them get easy looks in transition. You saw what Canisius did in transition. So, you know, take care of the ball, make your free throws. Um, I think, Thompson was seen as their potential star. Small has been really good, um, but they've been inconsistent. So we'll see. As you saw, they they already lost a pretty bad game. Um, so those those would be the two guys I would focus on.
0: Yeah, I think it is more of what we were talking about with Kanishas, where it's going to all start with the three point line. Uh, Oklahoma State is shooting thirty nine percent already from three, and that's you know top sixty in the country right now, and we are only shooting twenty nine percent. So there's already a 10% gap right there that could be easily exploited by Mm -hmm. the Cowboys. Uh, If we look back at what happened for Abilene Christian for how they were able to pull off the win at Oklahoma State, actually, it wasn't even neutral site. Oklahoma State only shot 21% from deep. So that right there is the number one thing that has to be, you know, slowed down, of course, is the, the three point shooting as we've already talked about a ton Abilene Christian also did a better job or actually it was equal on the boards. They both got 35 rebounds each. So that yeah. neutralized it. So crashing the boards will be huge. So I think, you know, it's going to have to be Charles pride getting to the boards and, and neutralizing, you know, some of the guys that you mentioned, like Wright and embrace Thompson getting to the boards uh, about, you know, trying to, you know, keep possession or prevent second chances for Oklahoma state to kick out for three, especially, Another thing that I have noticed here, just looking at some of their recon, is that they are pretty slow compared to most of the rest of the country. Uh, they are, you know, in terms of tempo, they're right around where our tempo has been. So yeah. I wouldn't expect a, you know, an ultra-fast game like if we play Auburn on Friday. And I think in another ex- a difference that can happen is that we could exploit the fact that they – They don't shoot well from the free throw line. They're they're only shooting exactly 50% from the free throw line. They only shot 40% against uh, Abilene Christian and, you know, picked up a little bit against Sam Houston State, who's actually not much better than Abilene Christian. So that's not exactly a huge quality win. It's about the same as beating Longwood. But in that game, Bryce Thompson had 17 off the bench, small 16 was the MVP and, john mm-hmm. michael wright 14 points it's going to be those guys on the on the perimeter it's going to come down to you know mike Adams, Woods, and banks and and tyrell luke all <laughs> defending those guys and if they yeah. can hang with them because it doesn't seem like uh it doesn't seem like their uh down low presence is too concerning mike marsh is their their starter he's only put up four points I think and no way he had 13 points against Abilene Christian sorry and he had three against Sam Houston State so he's you know about where vetting should be I don't think there's going to be um too much of an advantage one way or the other down low I think it will have to come down to how the guards play and yeah if if Charles Pride can also get some mismatches on those guards
1: and they shoot a ton of threes. So, just kind of big picture. I know we're getting into the specific players, but just big picture as a team, they shoot a lot of threes. Um, yeah. 45th in the country, three point attempts per field goal attempts. And their percentage, even though they were really bad against Abilene Christian, a decent shooting percentage. 58th in the country in three point percentage. 10th in the country in how met and how. Um, how many of their points come th- from three-pointers, I'll say. So like their point distribution, you can get points from threes, you can get points from twos, or you can get free throws, obviously, right? Tenth in the country and how many of their points come from three-pointers, and that is with only hitting five threes um, against Abilene Christian. You said, and I, I was saying um, just a few minutes ago, they're inconsistent offensively. They were last year. They are hoping to be more consistent, but in just those two games, you see it in just the first two games because against Abilene Christian, they go five of 23 from deep for a gross 22% and they lose that game. But then they bounce back against Sam Houston state. They hit 17 of 33, three pointers. Um, So they hit five in the first game and then they hit 17 Um, kind of a Jekyll and Hyde offense for Oklahoma state, especially from deep. So who knows really what we're going to get. I think if they come in and they're hot, it's going to be really, really tough with their defense to be able to to stay with them and beat this team. But, you know, if they have a cold shooting night, like they did against Abilene Christian, we can absolutely, of course, we can beat this team. Um, so I think it's going to come down to how many threes they make.
0: And they don't offensive rebound very well. They also don't turn the ball over too much. So those are two things that we'll have to make sure yeah, are, are working in our favor because, you know, you don't want to give a team like that second opportunities to score. Mm -hmm. And another thing I did did notice is that their three point defense on their end is actually not very great either. So if the guys can get into a rhythm in the bigger Barclays center, maybe, you know, some of the guys that haven't played in the Riley before this season, like Adams woods and pride, maybe they can get more used to those sight lines and they'll, they'll hit more. So that could be something that is what they're, um, Going to want to try against Oklahoma State because Oklahoma State is is you know towards the bottom third in the country. They're two twenty second, so it's not like they're the worst three point shooting or defending team, but it's you know it's not one of their strengths. One of their their strengths are definitely you know getting um, getting their own 3 uh, point shots, and uh, they do force quite a few turnovers. So we'll have to continue to be pretty good with the ball on offense because even in the two. Underwhelming performances, especially Canisius, our turnovers have been relatively few and far between, which is a good sign, and we don't yeah. want to start getting into a, uh, a lot of turnovers, e- even uh, against Oklahoma State, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, we really need a bounce back after that. Really, really need a bounce back. And I know it's a little bit of a downer episode, but how could it not be after that performance? I think <laughs> everyone was on board. One one person did say it yeah, was a good loss. but. <laughs> The fact that you uh, can even talk for an hour about Bonnie's basketball after that catastrophe
0: is, yeah. is kind of miracle.
1: Yeah, we needed the Sunday off. I needed to, to recuperate. I was yeah. very, very lazy, just mental mental and physical rest. Um, I did like six
0: hours of leaf blowing to get out the aggression there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but
1: you got to have a bounce back, um, you know, and it'll be tough. But if tough to say after canisius but i know people are thinking about it like we really have to now you put yourself in such a a bad spot um after that game you really need to uh i won't say run the table non-league but um you know when you lose at home to canisius in 2023 there's just no margin for error before that and let alone after that um so any at-large hopes really are effectively done. We just have to, and I I know it sounds crazy even talking about that after losing to Canisius, but, um, yeah, the the system sucks, and it's unfair as it is, but um, really, really put ourselves in a bad spot, which is why we, we have to bounce back, and what better opportunity than to go in against two P5 teams. Hopefully we get Auburn um, hopefully we can beat Oklahoma state and get a really good Auburn team because Notre Dame, again, I know we beat them last year and they're Notre Dame and, and it's a big name and a big brand, but they're just not really that good at basketball this year, or last year. Um, so you want to really be able to bounce back and capitalize, um, I know that I wasn't the only one who had all the enthusiasm just totally sucked out of me immediately. And I've just been kind of in a in a daze. Um, But you can bounce back and if you can get two upset wins uh, now against Oklahoma State and Auburn, then you're looking at, you know, a, a stretch of five. Really, really bad teams. I'm talking sub 300 teams, some of the worst teams in the country. Four of the five are sub 300, and then you have Florida Atlantic. So there are still opportunities there, but you got to start with beating Oklahoma State. Hate looking too far into the future after a loss like that, but if you can get Oklahoma State and somehow upset Auburn, all of a sudden you're looking at five very, very winnable games and then Florida Atlantic. Um, and then, like you said earlier, Akron's a really, really good team this year. Uh, right now they, they project to be better than us this year. Um, so, you know, the, uh, there are opportunities to turn this around. Um, and when you have a bad loss like that, you do want an immediate opportunity to turn it around. So I, am sure our staff is, is getting these guys ready. Hopefully they're in a good mindset and they can bounce back you know this the season as much as it feels terrible right now we're gonna look back and yes we're gonna for four months be saying how the hell did we lose that game like that um but you know there there's still some good teams on the schedule and a lot of winnable games so um hopefully next time we record we're talking about two wins in brooklyn
0: yeah exactly uh it's always better to lose in November than March. I know the committee likes to say that November and March losses count the same. That may true be true numerically, but it's there's plenty of opportunities for the guys to bounce back, redeem themselves, get two wins, or even just one good win. Uh, and Brooklyn would, would really do a lot to help the just the feeling around the team, I think to, to get that, um, you know, just to get some of that momentum with a, with a P five win going into that really, bad stretch before Florida Atlantic where they definitely should not lose a game yeah. against any of those teams. Cause all of them are actually worse than Canisius even before Canisius yeah. beat us. And another thing I wanted to mention is I believe we have not won at the Barclays center since 2019 when we beat roadie in the semifinals. A- am I wrong?
1: I think wasn't the Notre Dame game. Oh, that was in the oh, that was at uh, Islanders. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah those a-
0: Islanders Well, the Islanders now play cuz the- um at the barclays gosh. Yeah, cuz we we lost to St. Louis in the final in 2019, 2020 happened, you don't need to say that. And then we lost to Iona and Davidson last year oh. at the Barclays. So, yeah, it's yeah. been we've lost three straight at the Barclays. We got to get our Barclays mo- mojo back there, that's for
1: sure. <laughs> and it, it is awesome that we can get into these events like back, you know, before early in Schmidt's tenure up until we really started to get cooking. Uh, We, we didn't get these games, you know, we had to take buy games. We don't get bought anymore. We get into these really, really good events. Um, A lot of that is the fans and, you know, it sucks, but there are people who won't go now because of what happened on Saturday. No, I get that. You're, you're saving some money by playing them in Canisius, but you know,
0: no, it, it I bought sucks. my tickets in. Mar- I bought my tickets in March. That, I, I, know know, like, who are gonna, I know people were
1: gonna. I know people were gonna go, and they're not going now, and it sucks. So maybe but they're driving like do. seven hours.
0: Okay, possibly, especially on a Thursday. I get it, but like, no, if that's gonna, if that's the reason why you're not going, I don't know. You just just don't go in general, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> now, but, the Metro you know, New York
0: City alumni chapter will be will be holding it down. That's for yeah.
1: sure. Even besides that, though, real quick, like you just lose so much. I guess so much equity because you know once the eight ten 10 comes we play at LaSalle, we play in Gola. We know what happens when we go to Gola. We play. there's a uh. lot of there's a lot of ba- in you know bad uh, very very middling mediocre te- A10 teams. You're going to lose that's how it is in conference play. You're going to lose to some bad conference opponents. It's going to happen, you know, a lot of those games they they're familiar with us, we're familiar with them. We're going to drop one so you know that yeah. equity now is gone now that you lost it to, to canisius um and you know it, it the margin for error was like i said it's our it was already small now it's even smaller you can't have another one of those really really bad losses yeah it's hard
0: to project you know auburn notre dame because it depends on if we win or if we lose mm-hmm. and they who wins that game i'll just quickly mention you know auburn is a Sixteen point favorite on Ken Palm against Notre Dame because Auburn's twenty first in the country. I, I, I don't know. let me check <coughs> really their ranking the AP, but Notre Dame's now in the two hundreds, which is you know I, it's so weird to see like an ACC team in the two hundreds, even if it's two hundred four. That's that's yeah. pretty rough. But you know Notre Dame me, has been on a big bit of a bad stretch. What are you going to say?
1: Yeah. Let me ask you like. Obviously we play Oklahoma state Thursday and then one, the next day we play Auburn. Right. So neither team really has a chance to prepare for the other. Um, I would say that's advantage Auburn because I would rather have us have more time to prepare and not have it just be, you know, they're the sec bodies against us uh, and just rolling out the balls the next day and playing, I feel like that does make it more of a toss up when you're playing twenty four hours later and you don't have a chance to prepare. I, I think that I think that does kind of work in our favor, but I also see like the roll the balls out and the athletes you know we do have some athletic yeah. guys, but not like Auburn. Um, so do you think that could potentially benefit us or do you think that's benefit Auburn?
0: It's a tournament. It's always what you see in in conference tournaments where, you know, momentum or rest or who's, you know, who's hot, who's able to, you know, game plan, at least with the conference tournament, you know, you've played one of those teams before in almost every situation, if not twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think, I think Auburn would still have the advantage because they have that experience against Baylor and Baylor's a really, really good team. Auburn is in like, I think 37th in the AP poll this week. They got five votes there, you know, they weren't ranked last week. So but they're still they're still on the edge of being near the rankings. And, you know, if they win two games in Brooklyn and also, you know, get some right teams to fall, they may they may jump up into the top 25 next week. So they're, they're definitely a formidable opponent. I think it looks like they, you know, they have comparable size to to Chad Venning and Noel, Noel Brown. They're both, you know, 6'10", 6'11". They're two guys, Johnny Broom and Dylan Cardwell, who play really well. Uh, Aiden Holloway is a big uh, key player for them at point. Johnny Broom is also very important for them as well. And it's, you know, there's, you know, there are opportunities for them to really take advantage of their tempo because they are one of the faster teams in the country as opposed to um, because of us. They're 68th in the country in tempo. They play a lot faster. They do rely on the three in a similar clip to to oklahoma state although they are a lot better at shooting free throws it seems like they have some you know pr- a lot of tr- a lot more trouble actually defending the three now i don't know if that's because baylor necessarily gotten a hot streak against them because that's that may skew the stats a little bit but they they have a lot of ability to play a little bit more of an nba style of, of shooting a lot of threes making a lot of threes but also giving up quite a few threes and they also don't give up many free throws as well. So that could be something where it might be tough for us to get to the line in the barclays against an sec team. And yeah, they, you know, Denver Jones seems like another good, good player for them. He's hitting some threes early on. And yeah, I think it will be a total team effort to try to take them down because they're, yeah. they're a borderline top 25 team. If yeah. they're not going to be top 25 after this week, it, it it'll probably happen at some point. They'll, they'll play Virginia Tech, Indiana, USC, and then of course the SEC schedule. They'll get they'll have plenty of opportunities to get some quality wins to probably jump into to the uh, into the top 25, but it should be, you know, a very good opportunity if we were to play Auburn if, yeah. you know, whether they whether they win or we both lose, it'll still be a great opportunity for us if Notre Dame were to somehow pull off that upset which I think I'm pretty sure we have a much better chance of beating Oklahoma State than Notre Dame has of beating Auburn.
1: Yeah. And Auburn played Baylor really tough. Um, and Baylor's a very, very good team. They, they were up 77, 72 late with four minutes left and then gave up a 16 to five run. They really should have beat Baylor. Um, and they probably would be ranked if they had beat Baylor. Um, but yeah. Oh, they definitely Uh, (laughs) won. Yeah. So, um, it's going to be, I like these games. It's going to be really tough. Auburn's uh, a very, very good team. So, you know, I do think that we have a lot more depth than we have in, in years past. So playing that game, uh, you know, 24, 24 hours later, that depth's yeah. going to be big. So, um, you know, we pretty much do line changes now in our first substitution, which is crazy. So that yeah, depth... Yeah, it's our first that, line this,
0: change, and God knows how long against Longwood. <laughs> yeah, so
1: this this is where that depth can pay off, hopefully.
0: Yeah, and just quickly looking at... Notre Dame, they have a little less size than us. Um, Marcus Burton's one of their main players, Julian Roper. Uh, Marcus Burton's a freshman, so he wasn't playing in last year's game. And I have to look back on the stats of how exactly, you know, what exactly the keys were to us winning that one. Notre Dame is the slowest tempo of these four Uh teams in Brooklyn at 317 in the country. They are horrible at shooting threes. They're around 300 at both giving them up and also making them themselves. They, you know, they got a lot of red on there in Kempom, to yeah. say the least. It's, you know, they did not perform well against Niagara or, and obviously they didn't against Western Carolina in their loss. It yeah. seems like they're going to have a tough time in the ACC with, you know, they're, <laughs> they're not projecting many wins in the ACC. <laughs> I just see a bunch yeah. of L's, which... You know that's that's rough for them. They also are one of the most inexperienced teams in the country, where we are the number one most experienced team in the country. Yes. So that's that's a that's a definitely an interesting clash there. Um, just looking quickly, Auburn is about one hundredth in the country, so Auburn has some has some experience. So does Oklahoma State. They're about middle of the road and experience for those two teams. But yeah, Notre Dame. It seems like I don't want to say it would be oh an easy win by any means. Like it's still. You know, it's still an ACC team with some good talent on the squad. It's just, I don't know if it's really been able to been pieced together. And they're replacing Mike Bray. So that's going to be, you know, something that they'll have to worry about. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, looking back on their stats, um, when we beat them last season, two of 17 from three. So they yeah. were shooting three, threes well there. Uh, last time. only really played five guys. Them. Yeah. Yeah. It was, they only had like, That's yeah, him. they only have one guy that played more than zero minutes. They had two guys that checked in at the last second, but yeah, they had, um they had basically no bench just like we didn't. <laughs> and, um, you know, out rebounded them quite a bit, 38 to 32. And yeah, got a lot of, you know, we just were able to, you know, hit a lot against them. I, th- I think, you know, that would be a matchup that we would want to, you know, make sure we're also hitting more of our shots because it seems like as long as those guards are performing well, Notre Dame should shouldn't be much of a problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, uh, you know, some people were saying. Late in the offseason, that we were gonna, they thought we were gonna go more up tempo. I remember doing, asking some questions. People thought we'd go up tempo. Even on broadcast, people are saying, oh, this is a much more up tempo team. They like to get up and down, but I don't really see that. Like we are 285 in tempo. And I said in the offseason, I was like, we're not gonna change our our style that much. Like we were more up tempo when we had Adams and Mobley. Those were our more up-tempo teams. Those were the most up tempo teams that Schmidt has had. We were, you know, probably in the top half, but by no means were we running and gunning. But, you know, the four years with Loft and we were a very slow tempo team. Last year we were very slow. I said, you know, we're not gonna change that. We're not gonna I I said, we're probably not going to be like a a team that presses the entire game. I just don't think Schmidt at this point is going to change the style that much. And I'm surprised so many people thought we were going to Schmidt was going to just change the style. We're still playing the pack line defense. We're pressing, we're applying a little more full court pressure after makes. Um, But this is, it's the same style. We're going to, we're going to be not very up tempo. We're 285 out of 360 some teams. Um, you know, our, our possession length is in the two hundreds as well. It's, it looks like the same style as the last, I don't know, however many teams since we had Adams kind of. So, uh, yeah, surprised that people thought we were going to switch up our style magically, but it, it looks like we're not. Yeah, which is fine, which is fine. It's fine to be, it's fine. Virginia won a national championship as the slowest tempo team in the country. It's not bad to be, not be up tempo. I'm not saying that by any means. I would prefer us to get into our sets. It's when we are dribbling too much and we're not making crisp passes. And there's a lot of standing around. Um, That's, that's what's troublesome. We really need to start moving off the ball more and making more crisp passes, getting guys good looks. Um, And, you know, Banks... Asa and Venning, you know, I I've, two of those guys are all-conference preseason teams. I said Asa would probably be maybe uh, an all-conference caliber guys. Um, those three guys in particular are just too good to be non-factors like they were. Um, and I, I'd have to look at, like, Asa and Banks' stats from Canisius, but I bet if you combine their field goal percentages, it was not good. So those three guys can't be non-factors.
0: No. And you need you need everybody to chip in points, especially against you know these power five teams. Oklahoma State and Notre Dame are at our tempo. Auburn is you know more up tempo. But you kind of mentioned what it is the, the difference between being you know slow tempo and being stagnant on offense. And there's there's yeah. definitely a difference. Slow tempo doesn't mean mm-hmm. just, just slow in general. It's you you can move, just not you know yeah. keeping possession longer. So right. it's going to be interesting. It's going to be exciting if you are going to. Brooklyn, safe travels. DM me if you're going at LittleBonX on Twitter, at SB Unfurled on Twitter for plenty of stats and information to get you ready this week. You know, it's going to be a very good challenge for the Bonnies. Be sure to also subscribe to us here on your favorite podcast platforms, SB Unfurled and friends. Thank you all so much for listening and go Bonas. It's <laughs> Oh, uh-huh.